Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think a lot of authors are like that or people who like everyone's always like, I want to write a book one day, you know, and it's always one day. And so finally, I stopped saying one day and I said, I'm going to do it. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or share this episode on social media. And if you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Today, we will be talking to Kelly Garrett. Kelly Garrett is the author of the upcoming suspense novel, Like a Sister, and the Detective by Day Lightweight Mysteries. The first, Hollywood Homicide, won the Anthony, Agatha, Lefty, and Ippy for Best First Novel. She serves on Sisters in Crime's National Board, is a former Pitch Wars Managing Director, and is a co-founder of Crime Writers of Color. So please welcome to the show, Kelly. Hello. Hi. Hi. So let's start by going kind of all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing and how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I'm one of those annoying people who wanted to, who knew I wanted to write when I was like five. I used to like start stories. Even even back then I always had ideas and I would start them and I could never really finish them. Like my mom has a whole notebook uh, full of me with my like first chapters somewhere in her house. I should try to find it. So that's what happened. So I was five and I think I published my first book when I was 37, maybe. So I guess it took 32 years. <laughs> um, so I had worked in television and I was on a TV show called Cold Case. I had gotten let go after my season and I was kind of like lost and trying to figure out like what to do next. And so I felt like it kind of really took like almost like a rock bottom to get me to finally be brave enough to decide to write a book. It also helped that I actually had a good idea, what I thought was a good idea for a book. (laughs) And so that was like 2011. I don't think I finished the book till 2014. I was in my 30s by the time I actually started um, taking writing, novel writing seriously. So can you tell me more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author? I, I don't know if there was a moment. I just, I think when I was like five years old, I just knew and I just knew <laughs> I like to read. My mom is a big reader. So there are books everywhere, you know, and I just knew. And it just was always something that it would be like, I want to be one one day. I think a lot of authors are like that or people who like, everyone's always like, I want to write a book one day, you know, and it's always one day. And so finally, I stopped saying one day and I said, I'm going to do it. So I guess it was 2011. I um, I had the idea for what would be Hollywood Homicide when I was still living in L.A. And then I moved back home to New Jersey. And um, I think NaNoWriMo is when I first actually started writing the book. I didn't finish. I did not win, though, you guys. I did not win NaNo. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I've never won. I've never won a NaNo. I've tried like so many times. <laughs> 
then how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to go about it, how to write a query letter, all those different things. I want to say I'm like a big, I have a journalism background. So even though I've never, I didn't write a book, I've always actually made my money as a writer. So I was a journalist and I was a TV writer. Even now, um, my day job is writing for a corporation. I think I remember I got that like how to find an agent. One of those, remember those books? I don't know if they're still around. <laughs> you know, and they would list like agents' names and stuff mm-hmm. um, and query letter advice. So I think I found, I looked, I used the book. And with my query letter, looking back on it, it actually is a really good query letter, but it wasn't like I was like this huge expert or anything like that. I just happened to write a, a good query letter. And then I got into Pitch Wars in 2014, which I think obviously is, is what I really is what got me started on my career path and helped me learn the industry. Do you remember how you learned about Pitch Wars? Yes, I do. I was a member of Sisters of Crime and there's a group called Guppies, which is the Great Unpublished. It's their online chapter. And someone online mentioned Pitch Wars and I was like, oh, and I think I was querying at the time and I hadn't, um, I would, I was getting requests, but no one wanted to actually um, represent me. And so I was like, oh, what a cool idea. And I I did everything. I I can't even tell. I would never. I can't even tell you all the things. All the things I did wrong <laughs> when I was applying for pitch wars. Especially because now since I'm on the pitch wars board, like I can't. <laughs> I, I can't admit to you guys the things I would do. I'll give you a hint. Like instead of actually reading the wish list, I would just do a search for people who wanted mysteries. I would do a find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know things like that. And so um, and so I happened to apply to pitch wars, and then I forgot about it. <laughs> And I, it's funny you think of it now and people are so into it and you go on the hashtag and Twitter and there was a hashtag and people into it in 2014, not to the extent it is today, but like it was a big deal when they announced the mint, the minties. And my friend had to tell me, she's like, oh, you know, you got into pitch wars. I was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and so that was cool. And my, uh, my mentor is Sarah Henning and she was saying how it'd be so annoying because she would like stalk my Twitter and I would just be like talking about random stuff that had nothing to do with writing or anything because <laughs> I'd forgotten about pitch wars and everything. So, <laughs> uh, so how long had you been querying before pitch wars? Do you think? I want to say I finished the book. When was pitch wars? I finished the book earlier that earlier that year, and I want to say that was when pitch wars was like September to November or something like that. I want to say 2014. You only got like two months, maybe. Yeah. And so I had been querying that summer. And so the book was done. So I want to say a few months. So then what happened? Can you break down for us what happened from getting into Pitch Wars to signing your first book contract? Oh, my gosh. This is going to take a (laughs) long time. So I got into Pitch Wars uh, with what was Hollywood Homicide would be Hollywood Homicide. We did. I did. I was one of those um, mentees who did not have a lot of revisions. So we did my revisions. We did the agent showcase and I had two requests, which actually in 2014 was a decent number for an adult adult <laughs> book. I think I might have been the only adult mystery at that time too. Mm. And one, the first request I got was Michelle Richter, who was at the time an associate agent at Fuse Literary. And it was so funny, Sarah, because um, I was going to a, a mystery uh, writers conference called Crime Bake and so was Michelle. And so I remember I like put in like the query notes. I was like, oh, I'll be at like Crime Bake and maybe we'll see each other. I just remember being like so nervous when I saw her. And so we were talking at the bar. It was me, her, and Matt Martz, who's the publisher of Crooked Lane Books. And she leans over and she goes, let's talk about me representing you. <laughs> so I got like it was I got like an offer at, at a bar at a conference. And it was just like, oh, my God, 
I remember going back and like emailing the um the Minty group in Facebook, be like, I just got an offer of rub in the bar. Um, <laughs> and so that was, I guess, November of 2014. And we did some some revisions with Michelle, and then we went out. The first couple people rejected the book, and they they were saying that the character, I, I don't want to say wasn't likable enough, but um, essentially they felt like needed to be likable. And so my book was an amateur detective novel, and so um, those are certain, you know, those are the friendly, the friendly mysteries, I guess, if you will. So we did a revision where I took all the mean things that she said and gave them to her best friend character in the book. <laughs> And then I was on sub for another year wow. and we got rejected by every major publisher. Mm-hmm. And finally, a mid-sized publisher through Llewellyn called Midnight Inc. bought the book. I sold it in 2016 and then it came out in 2017. So mm-hmm. from when I got my agent to when my first book came out was three years. And we're going to talk more about what happened after that in a minute. But for now, can you read your successful query letter for us? Dear XXXX, which would be the agent's name, Dana Anderson, a semi-famous mega-broke black Hollywood actress, doesn't set out to solve a murder. But when she drives past the hit-and-run of aspiring actress Haley Joseph and the LAPD offers a $15,000 reward, she figures she has two choices, get the reward or become a stripper. She doesn't possess the inner thigh strength needed to properly work a pole. Dana's pretty sure she saw the vehicle. The problem is she can't remember what the dang car looks like. Not that she's willing to let a little thing like that stand between her and 15 grand. What starts as simply trying to remember a speeding car soon blossoms into a full-out investigation. Dana even recruits her friends, including her longtime crush turned Hollywood it boy. They haven't spoken since a slight misunderstanding involving his hand and her non-stripper worthy thigh. Her friends aren't even allowed to mutter his name. He's like Voldemort, except with the nose. When Dana uncovers a link between the accident and an even bigger Hollywood crime spree, she enacts her own version of Law & Order Hollywood at paparazzi hotspots, celeb homes, and movie premieres. She loves every second of her growing investigation until someone tries to kill her. And there are no second takes in real life. Dana may be dead broke, but it sure beats being just plain dead. Intended to be the first in a series, IOU, which was the name of the book back then, as an 85,000-word mystery with the same broad appeal of Lisa Lutz's Spellman books and Janet Ivanovich's uh, Stephanie Plum series. Because of XXXXX, I thought you'd be the ideal person to represent me. The story draws on my experiences working in Hollywood, including a stint as a staff writer on the CBS procedural Cold Case and developing projects for Idris Elba and Lionsgate in television. I often encountered the various people chasing fame, be it a sprint, marathon, or journey that never reaches the finish line. These are the people who populate IOU. If you'd like to meet them, I'd be happy to send XXX. Thank you for your time. Nice. Thanks. So then Hollywood Homicide came out, and it won a lot of awards. It did. It did. It did. <laughs> got a lot of buzz. <laughs> I remember the first time we met in person, I was going to BoucherCon, and... I had mentioned to someone, I'm going to meet my friend Kelly Garrett. And they're like, oh, my God, Kelly Garrett. And I was like, oh, she's a big deal. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) But your experience since that first book came out, the awards has been kind of up and down, right? Because uh, you won all the awards, but then your publisher ended up closing. So can you tell us what happened after sending that first book contract? I got. I did the revisions. Um, the book 
came out in August 8th, 2017. Um, like you said, it got a, it got a couple of starred reviews. It got a lot of attention critically. It was not a huge runaway uh, bestseller, though. And then the second book came out a year later, August 8th, 2018, because their books always came out on the 8th. And the third book was supposed to come out August 8th, 2019. And then literally three days before my birthday on October, I think, 15th of 2018, I we got a very abrupt email saying my publisher was closing. We had no clue that that was happening. So it was a surprise to a lot of people. <laughs> and it was weird because I actually kind of was very like ambivalent about it for reasons that we can talk about if you want. And so I went from kind of like being on a high of, you know, oh, like my first book did so well. My second book was featured on the Today Show and but nominated for some awards and things like that to like not having a book contract, not knowing like what to do, feeling a little lost, if you will. So and I think that's the thing. People think when you get that first book contract, like it's like smooth sailing, right? And everything's great and it's happily ever after. But the struggle then becomes to stay published, which is just as hard as getting as becoming published the first time. So do you want to talk about the reason why you were ambivalent? Um, <laughs> no, they're not even like they're not even around anymore. So there were just some I was just not happy with certain things that they were doing. One of the biggest issues was my second book was not in stores on release day. Oh. Yeah, which is a big, a bit a pretty big thing. And they um hadn't they didn't tell me. Like it was very casually mentioned like the day before because I emailed them about something. And at the time, not saying I was was like their biggest seller, but I think I probably was one of their bigger sellers mm-hmm. for their publisher. And I had been I'd gotten all those awards and I was just kinda like, you know, like like you have to like I'm and I'm you guys knew people who know me know I bust my butt to like market my books and, and doing everything for my books. And so I'm like, I'm busting my butt. Like you have to help me. I need some help, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so I just wasn't sure at the time if I even wanted to continue this series. Like I was actually, uh, I shouldn't say I was behind with the deadline of the third book. So I was just <laughs> kind of feeling so like, just kind of ambivalent about writing it. Mm-hmm. And so although I was super sad that it the, the choice was taken away from me, it was also kind of like, okay, well that, that settles it. That settles what I sh- the series for now. Yeah, you know because unfortunately people won't won't buy a, a series because the thing is they kept my rights. Mm. They were giving other people's rights back, but my books were selling so well enough for them that they kept my rights until this year, earlier this year. So they kept my rights for another three years. Oh. A publisher can't buy the rights to all your books in a series. They're not going to pick up your books, your series in like the middle. Yeah. So like t- essentially, my books were. There weren't going to be any more day books as long as Midnight Inc. had the rights to it. So I was like, I can't write any more day books. You know, what should I be doing? What do I want to do? Like, what's the next step? Seems like the writing was a little bit on the wall then. <laughs> yeah. Before they closed. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you look back on it, yes. But I was, it was just, it was just still such a surprise. Mm-hmm. Like there was, like my um, editor was so surprised. Like there was no oh, wow. hint that it was going to happen. You know, yeah. So. What did you do next? I know the answer, but <laughs> for the listeners, I decided to um, work on a standalone, uh, which was more of a I, I struggle how to describe it. A woman named Lori Rader Day, who's like a just a boss when it comes to uh, crime fiction. Everyone who if you're in crime fiction, you know who Lori is. She described it as domestic suspense for the Instagram generation, which I thought was a great way to describe the book. So I saw a headline from the New York Daily News about a pregnant reality star who was found dead in the Bronx 
with cocaine and no pants. Oh gosh! On and I thought that was the most disrespectful headline. And um, we we haven't talked about race or inclusivity yet, but like I just felt like it was so disrespectful. And I felt like it was if it was a, a Kardashian, they would never have done such a disrespectful headline, but they did it because she's this black woman. And so I was just so drawn to the headline and this the disrespect of it. And I was just like, how did this glamorous reality star go from partying it up in Manhattan? Because that's what happened where she was last seen to unfortunately like dying by herself in the Bronx, like on a street corner. I remember I was like walking down the street and I said, oh, she's going to see her estranged sister. And it clicked. And I said, oh, that's my book. It's story with the POV of the estranged sister who feels guilty that they haven't spoken in two years and it feels like her sister was coming to see her and didn't make it and wants to know what happened. Mm-hmm. So that's where the idea came for what become like a sister, which was the original title. And it still is the title, which I'm very proud of because that's very rare in publishing. Yeah. So, but I had that idea. I think I had that idea in 2018, like right after my publisher closed. I didn't finish that sucker till years later. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's sold now. It is sold. It's coming out March. It's coming out again March eighth. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I can't get away from the eighth. The eighth. <laughs> yeah, it sold in a preempt six figure deal. Very fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very exciting. <laughs> it was such an, it was such a different experience because I sold that book in five days. It was actually um a year ago. So yeah. a year ago, Michelle and I, my agent, were getting we're getting ready to go out on a proposal. I had 200 pages written and I was so nervous. And I think you, I think you probably remember, I was like freaking out and just so nervous about it. Mm -hmm. And especially since my last experience was so over a year and, you know, and and that struggle. And I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. Yeah. A year to five days. (laughs) To five days. But it's funny because I thought I was going to love it and I I hated it. And, (laughs) And I know that that sounds like such first world like author problems but what happens if you're um when you're like on a you have like a hot book i guess i'm gonna use the term hot book bill you get you you do calls with editors mm-hmm. and so like we like oh we have a call with this editor we have a call with this editor we have a call with this editor and i would talk to them and they'd all be so nice <laughs> and they were all so enthusiastic about my book and i was like i have to like pick one they're all gonna hate again what else is gonna hate me um and so we had three calls and I think we were going to have at least two or three more, like, more offers when I took my preempt. But I was like, yeah, I was like, in theory, the idea of like, you know, selling on a preempt or back, about to go to auction, it sounds so fun and exciting. But in reality, it was stressful to me. So, yeah. But you had Michelle to help you through that I know, process. Yeah, she and I were both like amazed that, <laughs> about the experience. Like it was a whirlwind of five days. It was right before, um, it was right before 4th of July. Right after it was like around Fourth of July, and then you had to wait ten months to announce. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think people realize how many books one sell on proposal. You know, it's rare to sell on proposal if you aren't already an established author. But once you're, um, you have a first book out or second book out, it's it's pretty common to sell a book on proposal, especially to your old, your like your your current editor. I did do that though, obviously. And I don't think people realize how how many books um, are sold and not announced right away, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, because because I sold on a proposal and the book wasn't finished, my editor wanted me to finish the book, mm-hmm. which makes sense. So it took a lot a while for me to finish it to get it to a place where she was happy and I was happy with it, and it finally happened earlier this year. And then we um 
finally announced it, I think, what, a couple months ago? Mm-hmm. But I had a cover. When we announced, I had my cover already. <laughs> <laughs> I had, like, all this stuff. And it was so it was funny because I couldn't announce it, but like I suck at keeping secrets. So I would just be like strongly, like if you go back on my tweets, anytime I talk about the book, it's so strongly hinted that yeah, like working on edits, like with who though, like working on edits, like <laughs> I'm working on edits, but with who? And there were like at least probably a couple dozen of us that knew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. You talked to me. I was like, I have a book deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clay Harmon just announced his and he had, Got the offer 14 months ago. So he had to keep it a secret for 14 months. Oh, see, months. he, now he, I could, I, 10 is hard, but 14. Yeah. Again, it happened. It, I think he's hit, he was hinting at it too. Or I yeah. think <laughs> last year, because when I, we told him to pitch words, I was like, I think it was kind of like he was hinting at it when we pitch words. I was like, oh, okay. It's, it's hard. It's very hard to have good news that you can't share it. And then I totally understand why my editor did not want to announce it. And she was right about it because it, once it was announced, we wanted it to be at a place where we could, could capitalize on that mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Like I already have blurbs now. I have a cover. We're going full steam ahead, which if we had announced it last July, I would have to have been the stress of trying to finish it. Yeah. And it, it would still have taken me a long time. So, All right. It's time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Okay. Uh, you're a mystery writer. It has nothing to do with DNA. It's just classifications that we put writers in sometimes. <laughs> Are you a pantser or a plotter? Super plotter. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Underwriter first draft, overwriter second draft. Do you tend to write better in the morning or at nighttime? Nighttime. When you start with a new story, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else? An idea. So concept. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Neither. Oh, okay. <laughs> I shocked Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> their face was their face was kind of judgy. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> when you write, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? It has to be silence, otherwise I won't write. I'll get distracted. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or get it right kind of person? I want to be a get it down person, but I probably a get it right person, which is why it takes like so long. What tools or software do you use to draft? I use Word, but I uh, someone said I Scrivener it. I like I do a way to make it look like Scrivener. Oh, you use Word like someone uses Scrivener? Yeah, but I the way I set it up, I explained how I set up my my drafts because I can like click to different sections and like oh you Scrivenered your your Word. I was like oh okay, <laughs> that's funny. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Oh, writing is rewriting. I love rewriting. I hate writing. I hate it. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Oh, has has to be sequen- uh, sequential. And last quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? We've had this conversation before. I am an introvert. But everyone thinks you're an extrovert. Yes, but apparently, according to you, I don't know what an introvert and extrovert is. A lot of people don't. <laughs> right. And so what I thought was an extrovert, it's not, but I'm deaf. I'm an introvert. Yeah. I'm a very friendly introvert, though. Yeah. All right. So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We already read your query. Now we're going to talk about the second cue. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? I think I'm a Black woman who writes crime fiction. There's not a lot of us out there. 
And when I first started, I was very naive because I was writing amateur detective novels. And there, at the time when I was writing, there weren't any. And I was like, oh, well, obviously no one wants to write them. And that's why. So I'll just kind of <laughs> fill in. But it's, it was not that. It was that, that publishing was gatekeeping and, and not giving women of color, black women a chance. And so I think that was the qualm of, of, of inclusivity. And that's like, it's been such a big, a big, a big thing for me and a big, I'm such a big advocate for um, crime fiction being more inclusive. And it's something I, I talk about probably too much. I need to shut up sometimes and I never do. Um, like I said, even, you know, like when I went on my Anthony award, like I brought it up in front of like a room full of people. And I did that when I won my Agatha award, like, you know, and so my attitude is if I'm going to have a spotlight where I can get like 800 of the biggest names in crime fiction in one room, I'm going to say what I have to say about certain things. Mm-hmm. And so that was my thing. And so that's why I love now to see someone like Amiya Manansala, who's Arsenic and Adobo is doing so well and you know, reviewed in the New York Times and Book of the Month, because that was not an option when I came out. And it was like me and Alexia Gordon, Gigi Pontian, she was doing, you know, amateur detective or like lighter weight books. And that was just not an option for us, you know. And so to see like people like Mia or Abby, you know, Colette getting these opportunities that we were never, never received is just amazing to me. And it's so exciting, you know, cause to, and I know the success of someone like Mia, because Mia's book is doing amazing. Mm-hmm. That success means that there's going to be more opportunity for other women of color writing crime fiction to come through the door that Mia's, that, you know, I feel like Alexia, Valerie Burns and I, and like, like Patricia Sargent, like kind of like kicked open a little bit and like Leah busted through and now it's wide open and hopefully a lot of bunch of other people can come through it. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? No. Um, I One thing that's weird is I don't like, I have a desk, but I don't write it on my desk. I write anywhere else. Like I will be like laying on the floor writing. I usually write in my bed a lot. Um, I might write, I'm on a couch, sitting on my couch right now, I might write on my couch. So I don't like to write on a desk. I think it's because I don't like writing and it's like scares me. And so I think it's too <laughs> official. Like if I'm at my desk, it's like really writing versus I have to like trick myself like, oh, I'm just going to hang out, hang out on my bed and maybe I'll open up this Word doc. So I have to like <laughs> trick myself to write. <laughs> at work, you sit at a desk all day. So you might need kind of like that change of scenery. Yeah, that's a good idea, especially now because you're working from home. Well, I'm working from home, so it's the same desk, it's the same area. Yeah. But even before that, I just I never wrote at a desk. That was just not that's not me. <laughs> I'm not that formal for anything, I guess. So when you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going, and why did you stick to it? I think what would be the lowest parts. I think it helps when, like, with my when like my publisher closed, um, I think it helped having an agent like Michelle Richter is my agent. She's just like a really big advocate for me. She's like an amazing agent. She's now a senior agent. She had so many clients who have won so many awards, not just me, but she's just a really good advocate and she's a good partner, you know, and she like, she knows me at this point because it's been like six years where like you have to, you just can't be like, Kelly, are you writing? You have to kind of like check in occasionally, you know? So I think it would help to know that I had someone that was like a partner who was going to like kind of stay on me, but politely to keep writing. You know, I think also I want to stay in the community. I love, you know, like the crime fiction community. I love the Pitch Wars community, you know, and I wanted to stay in it. And I, I didn't want to be like that person who's like, oh, Kelly hasn't had a book out in, you know, 
five years, although it will be probably four years till Kelly has a book out. But I didn't want to be that person either. I wanted to be a person who had a career. So I think so I think that drove me a lot. And like back when my lowest point of when I was had gotten let go from the TV show and I didn't know anything, again, it just came back like, what do I have to lose? I might as well finally just follow this dream. So what do you feel like are some of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way that you would like to warn listeners about so they don't make the same ones? I've never made. I don't know. I think it just I've never made from, any mistakes. I think. I think it just it, it comes from my expectations. I think I mentioned this earlier that I think people think, well, like once I get my deal, it's going to be like smooth sailing, and it's not. It's still like a hustle. You know, your worries are still your worries. They just change. And so I just wish I had been like. I appreciated each moment when, during my debut year, and I wish I kind of realized back then that it's such a cliche, but it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, like even um, people still discover my day books and like they came out, but you know, I don't math that well, like 2017, 2018, you know, <laughs> so years ago and people are still discovering them for the first time. And I think people think like, oh, it has to be a New York Times bestseller out the first week or you're a failure, you know, which it might be more movies, but with, with books, it's not like you can write a book for years. Don't just think right. Obviously think about things to do right away, but also think long term as well. And so I think I got better with that with the second book and trying to space that out. And I'm hoping, obviously, with this new one coming out that I I look at. I might not. I might freak out again and think it has to all be done <laughs> the first week. But um, I, I hope I, that I kind of think long term about making sure that this book is something people read for years to come, not just the first week it's out. I think it helps. So I came from a TV background. So that I think my expectations for publishing are very low, which I think helps with my book's not saying that's not why I didn't make any mistakes, but I think I'm used to rejection. You know, um, I wasn't expecting. I know that just because you are a success in this way doesn't mean that you're going to be like the next, I don't know, Stephen King or something like that. So I think I came in with a, because of the TV experience, with a, a realistic expectations. You know, and I think the other thing I always tell people is to pick your battles. You don't want to be the person who's like freaking out about something really small, like the color, like this color on the cover, like, you know, like, is that a battle you want to pick? Or like, you know, or is it a battle of, I want to make sure that this, that this is right. So that's to me, the important thing of, of picking your battles of what you really want to be, what's really important to have to go to bat for. You know, for me, I tend, it tends to be more, I'm such, I feel bad for my editor, Helen, because I have such an ego when it comes to my writing and things on a page that I don't have an ego with anything else. Like, oh, cover. Like, they changed the name of my first book. I didn't care, you know, or like my cover. I thought it was, I love it, you know, but I was, I don't have an ego about that. But when it comes to like the way I even say something, like, don't try to change that because I wrote it that way for a reason. <laughs> like, that's how I wanted to say. Like, you know, and I felt bad because with the copy edits, like I was set and like the first few, first thing she, couple things she changed, I was like, set, 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 you know, and then I got better. So like for me, it's more things like that too. But I also, I know that I have to, like my first thing is always no. I have to be like, let me calm down. Let me think about what she's really trying to say and like see what we can talk about and do a compromise too. Yeah. Did I go on a tangent? <laughs> I think you kind of actually answered the next question, but uh, <laughs> I'll go ahead and ask it. And if you have okay. something to add, you can. <laughs> can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? You guys rewind this two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pick. I think pick your battles, definitely. And I think you do have to. Here's my thing, too, is no one's going to care about your career as much as you do. 
And so Twitter's not your diary. Don't whine on Twitter about things. Like find your friends and you can whine to them all day and all night. But like don't go on Twitter talking crap about everything that happens because there's so much so much stuff happens that we don't talk about. Like I didn't, you know, talk about my publisher closed. I think this is the first time I ever admitted that my publisher, you know, helps that it was if my publisher closed or my book wasn't in stores on release day, like in 2018. But at the time it happened, I was like, oh my God, it's sold out already, you know? And like, that's how you have to present it as. And so just think about that too, like what, how you're presenting it too. So you're presenting yourself. It's funny that you mentioned coming from TV because it reminded me of the episode I did with Waka T. Brown, Mm -hmm. who had been writing screenplays for years. She said, people always say publishing is so opaque and so difficult, but coming from screenwriting, I was like, no, this is a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, screenwriting is hard to break into. People always ask me advice. And I'm like, I don't know. I just happen to be lucky. So. <laughs> and see, even with publishing, it's like part, it's partly talent, it's partly luck. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky. I lucked out two times now. And I, I appreciate that too, you know? So, so I always think it's funny. People act like, oh, I'm just, maybe you're not talented enough. That's why you don't have a book deal. I'm like, oh, dude, also, maybe you're just super lucky. <laughs> So this is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people and organizations who helped you along the way and how? Definitely my agent, Michelle Richter, who I've already tooted her horn. Sisters in Crime helped me a lot just because that's those are the first uh, crime fiction friends I made. And it helped me appreciate community pitch wars. Obviously, it helped me with my get my agent. I was managing director in 2018. As you already know, um, I'm still on the board, as you already know. So I really appreciate the pitch wars community overall, but also like you and Brenda and Sonia and, you know, Ayana and Alec, all the people who work behind the scenes and Gail who work behind the scenes with it. And then I co-founded an organization called Crime Writers of Color with Walter Mosley and Gigi Pondian. We're at over 300 members now who are from all areas of their career, from people like Walter Mosley, who I think is probably one of the most prolific, greatest writers of our time, and to people who are starting their first book. It's such a creative space, such a safe space for people of color to come together to discuss the issues of, work, of being a person of color in crime fiction. So I think organizations like that, which is why I'm so big on organizations and helping other people, because organizations helped me. Mm-hmm. You already kind of told us about your book that's coming out. Is there anything else that you want to add about uh, any of your work in case people are interested in checking it out? I tend to write, um, I, I think they're very plotty, twisty books. Um, they're very, my, my, my editor calls them like, you know, voice driven, which is funny. I don't really think I'm a, a voicey writer, honestly, but I, I think I probably am. I just don't think, I, it's, just, it's just how I write. Um, so if you like books that are like some, hopefully some good twists and like books that you're going to kind of laugh a little bit, but also be surprised a little bit. Hopefully you'll, you'll pick them up. Uh, the series uh, is, uh, it's funny. It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be kind of slapstick almost, but like a sister, which comes out again, March 8th, it's a bit more serious, although it, you still, it still has my little voicey sarcasm mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. I thought Hollywood homicide was really funny. And I love when you compared it in your query letter to the Stephanie Plum series, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see, definitely see that. The way that she does it is just amazing. She definitely was an influence on me. So, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Kelly's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, tell your friends, or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. 
And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.